Our scriptures today come from uh, several different chapters in Jeremiah, chapter 2, again in chapter 5 and chapter 6, beginning in your pew Bible on page 629. We're talking about leadership and specifically the failure of leadership and the consequences of that failure for Judah as Jeremiah is speaking the words of the Lord to them. And it's in a number of different places in the book, and we're just going to pick up on three of those places this morning. So Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah chapter 5, and again in Jeremiah 6, if you'd stand as we read God's word together. Uh, Beginning in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 7. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land, and you made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and and went after things that do not profit. Chapter 5, 1 through 5. And then again at the end of the chapter, run, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and look and take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man who does justice, who seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down. But they have felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock, and they have refused to repent. And then I said, these are only the poor. They have no sense, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I will go to the great, and I will speak to them. For they know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. But they all alike had broken the yoke, and they had burst the bonds. Verse 30. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love it to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? And finally, in chapter 6, verse 13, From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed committed an abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush, therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. On September 30th, 1938, Neville Chamberlain was the British Prime Minister. And on that day of September 30th, he stepped off an airplane and he was waving a piece of paper to an excited crowd. 
The paper was known as the Munich Agreement. And Chamberlain stepped off the plane and stepped up to a microphone and said this. We, the German Führer and the British Prime Minister, have had a further meeting today and are agreed in recognizing that the question of Anglo-German relations is of the first importance for our two countries and for Europe. We desire that our two peoples never go to war with one another again. We are resolved. We are resolved that the method of consultation shall be the method adopted to deal with any other questions that may concern our two countries and thus to contribute to the assurance of the peace of Europe. And then he ended by saying, my good friends, I believe it is peace in our time. Go home and get a nice quiet sleep. September the 30th, 1938. We know now that Chamberlain failed severely as a leader. He failed to recognize that it wasn't peace in their time and that the Munich Agreement wasn't going to hold up because seven years later in 1945, which marks the end of World War II, the estimated dead were between 50 and 70 million people. In seven years, 50 to 70 million people had died. And, and here is Neville Chamberlain holding up a piece of paper saying to the people, broadcast worldwide, I believe we have peace in our time. In 600 B.C., Judah is a nation on the brink of collapse. It has wandered away from God, as we've seen in these opening chapters. But the leaders, like Neville Chamberlain, have a severe problem. And that is they step out in front of their crowd and they keep saying, according to chapter 6, verse 14, to the people who want and long to hear it, I believe, people, there is going to be peace in our time. And so they're, they're waving the white piece of paper in front of a nation on collapse, on the verge of collapse, saying, peace, peace, when, in fact, there is no peace. And we'll see Jeremiah laying, laying the blame for the failure of an entire nation at the feet of the leaders. I mean, everybody's going to take some of their own responsibility, but as you see in these chapters and in these verses, and we could read through a number of others in Jeremiah, Jeremiah comes and he sees the nation in collapse and he's going to go right to the feet of the leaders and say, it's your fault. You didn't tell the people the truth. You didn't help them see that it really wasn't peace in your time. In 1 Corinthians, Paul refers back to Old Testament events in this way. They were written down as warnings for us. 
So we want to pay attention. We, we want to heed the warnings of the Old Testament, especially as leaders. We, we want to hear what Jeremiah is telling the leadership today so that we don't find ourselves repeating the same kinds of mistakes. And so I want to look at two things this morning. I want to spend most of our time just examining how the leadership got lost and then sort of the resulting downward spiral. Once the leadership uncouples itself from the authority of God's word, we're just going to watch this downward spiral of a nation. And then Jeremiah is going to briefly give us a a way home. How, How do you get from that kind of condition if you're lost? How do you get back home? And Jeremiah begins to point the way for us. So let's begin in chapter 5, in the first five verses. And it will be helpful if you just look at this and run through these five verses with me. Because you're just going to see something that happens here. In verse 1, the Lord is instructing Jeremiah to do a very odd thing. He says, okay, Jeremiah, here's the deal. Here's the bet. You run up and down the streets. Go, go to every market square in Jerusalem. And if you can find just one man. Jeremiah, if you can just find one man who's truly interested in justice and truth, then I'm going to save a whole city. I want you to just hear the gospel in that message. I'm not going to flesh that out. I'm not going to run down that road too far. But I just want you to be aware of the gospel right there. One man, one man's justice, one man's pursuit of truth could save a whole city. And Jeremiah takes the bet and he runs around Jerusalem looking for people. And he concludes this in verse 3. They have made their faces Harder than a rock. What a great picture. I come up thinking, maybe this is the man and his face is hard as a stone. He's not interested in turning around. He's not interested in repenting. And then Jeremiah, discouraged, but thinking to himself in verse 4, well, these people are the poor people. I've sort of gone to the wrong section of town. These are the uneducated. They, they might not even know the way of the Lord. I know what I'll do. I'll go to the great people. Verse 5. I'm going to go to the great ones. And I know they're educated. I know they know the word of the Lord. And I'll find my one man in the leadership. And what does Jeremiah discover? He discovers that the great ones are not ignorant. They do know the way of the Lord, but there's something a lot worse. They're rebellious. They do know the way, and they have decided, I just don't want to go that way. I want to go my way. And so they don't just have faces made of stone. They have hearts made of stone. And Jeremiah gives this great picture. They are all, they all alike have broken the yoke. They have burst the bonds. 
Now, we don't necessarily get quite the imagery, although I'm sure you've seen a yoke before. It's, it's the wooden beam that captures two animals so that they would walk in unison. And you would have some kind of wooden beam across the head or across the shoulders or, or across the neck of these two ox. Or is it oxen? Is that what you say when it's plural? The two oxen are, are walking and there's some bonds that sort of wrap from the wooden beam around there and underneath their neck. And the reason you have that is so that the two animals would walk together and they would walk uniformly and they would walk in the right direction. And he comes to the leaders and he says, look what I found. We, the leaders, have broken off from God. We've ripped off this bond. And we've decided, no, we don't want to travel along God's way anymore. It's too restrictive. It's too limiting. I want to break away and I want to go my own way. And so the leadership makes a very, very, very old mistake. Where can you find this mistake first being made in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3. Breaking away from God, breaking away from His Word, saying, No, I I would rather do what pleases me. And they make a very common mistake, something that you and I could, could make easily. And so I want us to take note of this. The great ones breaking away are completely lost. Somehow in their thinking, they thought this... The Word of God is just too restrictive. It, it hems me in. It's, it's limiting me. And, and if I could just somehow break away, then, oh man, could I, could I finally enjoy life? Could I finally have the things that I want? And, and my guess is most of you sitting here are old enough to know What happens when you do that? How many could could quickly think, I I remember that time. I knew what the right thing was. I, I knew what the right way was. I just didn't want to go that way. It it felt like I wasn't going to be having fun. It it felt like I wasn't going to be living if I I did that. I I felt like all of my friends were really having life. and, And I was sitting over here in this restricted area. And I just broke away. And I grabbed hold of that thing that I thought was really going to give me life. It was just one thing. It was just one time. And then, then your life began a, a spiral. The, the picture that I have here is not a picture of, a, of, of two animals. The picture I had in my mind was, was of a kite down at Wrightsville Beach. You see these guys are flying these big kites. Sometimes they're, you know, there's enough wind and the kite surface is big enough that they're, they're doing all they can. They have to lean back to try to hold themselves onto the ground and hold the kite down. And the kite's waving back and forth. Now imagine if the kite at that moment thought, if I could just cut away these strings, 
Man, then I could really soar. I could, I could really get up in the clouds. And if the kite had the ability to, to just sort of cut its strings, what would you know it's doing? It's cutting off its life. And as soon as it cuts that last string, there may be some moment of uplift, but you know it's just going to turn into this downward spiral. And Jeremiah is telling his people, he's telling us, stay in the way of God's word. Stay in that path. That's, that's the path of life. Psalm 119 says this, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. And then listen to this. I run in the paths of your commands. I'm running in the paths of your commands. For you have set my heart free. I'm going to experience freedom when I'm living according to God's Word, not apart from God's Word. And so many people, especially when I was dealing with high school people on a regular basis, they, they just got this whole idea turned around that, that, well, once I get involved with Christ, I'm going to be so hemmed in that I'm not really going to have life. And so I sort of want to live my life over here, and then when I get older... I can sort of live hemmed in. And they just bought into the lie that the life doesn't exist inside the rail of God's Word. And God is telling us clearly, young people, high school students, college students, life can be found inside and according to the Word of God. It will never be found apart from the Word of God. Living apart from the Word of God is like a kite severing itself from the foundation that's holding it in the air. The leaders of Judah had severed themselves. And a very predictable downward spiral begins for the nation of Judah. And we'll see it in a few verses here. First, we see in chapter 5, verse 31, this is the very first turn Once you've severed yourself from the Word of God, verse 31, the priests now rule at their own direction. Which direction would you like to go? If you don't have God, which direction are you going to go? The direction you would like to go. They have, they have severed themselves, and now in the NIV it says they rule by their own authority. It, it, it literally means in the Greek that they rule by their own hand. The hand of God was driving them and pushing them and, and moving with them in the right ways, but they lost that hand. And so now they have to come to themselves and say, well, which way would I like to go? I've got to direct myself now according to my own hand. Now, some of you might find this surprising, but many years ago, 
I don't know, 15 maybe, I took dancing lessons with my wife. I really wanted to become a better dancer. You know, she needed some help. And so, you know, I, I agreed to do the dancing lessons. The Fred Astaire, I don't think the place is even, I think I closed the shop down after that came. And so we signed up for, I don't know, a dozen lessons or a half a dozen lessons. And I'm dancing with my beautiful wife, and I keep, you know, keep looking at my feet, I'm looking at her feet, and I just, you know, I was struggling. It's a little difficult for you to picture, I know, but... And the instructor at one point said this, uh, Mr. Phillips, you're supposed to lead your wife by your hands. You're, you're pushing and sort of pulling on her back is going to help her know how to dance. And Nancy just couldn't get my hand movements down. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't my problem, but, you know, she just couldn't figure out my good hand movements. And... and What the Bible says is we were built for a divine dance. To get into a divine dance where you're not the leader. You're the responder. And God is just twirling you through, guiding you through. And the leaders decided that they just didn't want those hands anymore. And now their own hands had to somehow... Be the guide. Once they uncoupled themselves from the authority of God's word, very quickly they became their own authority. And everything that they desired to do is what they decided to do. Proverbs 14 says this. It tells us where this kind of leadership ends up. There is a way that seems right to a man. There is a way. It just seems right. This seems like the way to go. And you know what the proverb, the man who wrote Proverbs 14 says? Where does it lead? The way that seems right to the man leads to death. Because life is found in God's way, not in man's way. And so that's why we have to stay in the paths of his commands. But unfortunately, the leaders of Judah broke away. They they were left to lead themselves. And once the biblical authority is lost, once you've lost touch with your divine partner, chapter 6, verse 13 Everyone becomes greedy for gain, even the prophets and the priests. You see what happens when you lose your partner, you get another partner, and the partner is the person in the mirror, and you dance with the person in the mirror, and you move to the movements of the person in the mirror. And the person in the mirror makes decisions and you must satisfy those. And so you become greedy, greedy for things that you desire. And again, this may be hard to picture, but here's what's happening in Jeremiah's day. 
once the leaders sort of uncoupled themselves from the authority of God's word, preachers began to look at themselves instead of look at their Savior. And they began to either turn into salesmen or superstars. They began hungering for money, like a salesman would, or they began hungering for adoration. And, and so once the preacher gets out from underneath God's word and his authority, he's going to be wanting something. And so they, they turn into salesmen, or they turn into people who need adoration. And God just becomes a commodity. He's just a way to get those things. I'm using God as a commodity in order to get your money. I'm using God as a commodity in order to get your adoration. That's what was happening in Jeremiah's day. They didn't eliminate God. Oh no, they needed God because they knew you needed God. And now he just became a commodity in order for you to then give money or get adorate, give adoration to the person who now is at the top of the food chain. Therefore, if you're the preacher, you need the people to keep coming. Because you need an increasing amount of money. You need an increasing amount of adoration. And in order to keep the people coming, do you think you're ever going to tell the people anything very hard for the people themselves to hear? (laughs) No, no, no. I want you to feel okay about you, and I want you to feel okay about me, and so... When the preachers came to preach, they never addressed the serious wounds of the people. They came to them and said, it's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Oh, yeah, you've got some problems. They're just not serious problems. You really do have peace with God when really there was no peace. 6.14, they dressed the wounds of my people as though... They were not serious. They didn't want to preach on the severe parts of the Bible. It's just easy to leave out sin. Hell. Judgment. I mean, nobody really enjoys hearing about those things, and I need your money and I need your adoration, so I'll just eliminate the severe parts of the Bible, and I'll just give you the good parts. And that'll make you feel good and make me feel good. And we're both in a different kind of dance than what God had intended. And sadly, the people were then walking around with a very serious wound, and they didn't know it. They had no idea that they had a wound that was going to kill them. Nobody would really look at them and say, let me tell you what the real problem is. I don't know if you heard this story. Back in 2005, a guy named Patrick Lawler was a construction worker. He was working in a ski resort in Littleton, Colorado. And he had a toothache. And so he decided, well, I'll take some painkillers 
and I'll eat some ice cream to try to resolve the swelling. Whenever I have any kind of pain, I like ice cream. It really helps me, really, on anything. And so he just thought, well, some painkillers, you got a toothache, you get some ice cream, you get something cold on that spot, you're okay. He did this for six days. He just couldn't quite get over the toothache that he had. And finally, he sort of broke down and said, I've got to go to the dentist. And so he goes to the dentist, and the dentist takes some x-rays and reports back to Patrick, shows Patrick the x-ray of Patrick's skull. And in Patrick's skull is a four-inch nail. You see, six days before, Patrick was driving nails with an automatic gun when there was a kickback. And one nail flew over his shoulder and hit a board, but Patrick didn't know that a second nail also discharged and went up through the roof of his mouth and lodged in his head. He had no idea. Oh, I have a toothache. But if I just get some ice cream. I mean, I imagine you put the ice cream, and if that gets near that nail, man, you got a cold shot. You talk about that cold headache you get when you have the tasty freeze too much. I mean, he must have really had it. Because the nail went into his brain an inch and a half. Just barely missed his eye. And and I think about how painful and disruptive and shocking it must have been. It was hard for us to hear. But imagine if you had been Patrick. But don't you think Patrick was relieved in some way? He was walking around with something that was going to kill him. And finally somebody said, no, 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 you have a serious problem that ice cream isn't going to cover up. Uh, Understanding and hearing the truth for Patrick actually created an opportunity for life. Hearing the truth, as hard and as shocking and as arresting as it was, hearing it, it at least gave an opportunity, it at least gave an opening for real health and real life. But, but we live in a culture, we are people who would just rather eat ice cream. I don't want to pick too hardly on Joel Osteen, but when I hear him at times, and again, I don't hear a lot of him. I I wouldn't highly recommend hearing a lot of him. But it just feels like ice cream. He was on the Larry King show, and Larry King says, so you don't call your congregation... Sinners. No, I don't. Osteen replied. Is that a word you don't use? King said. I don't use it. I never thought about it, but I probably don't. But most people already know what they're doing wrong, and when they, when I get them to church, I want to tell them that they can change. That there can be a difference in their life. 
So I don't want to go down the road of condemning. I really want you to hear this. Knowing the truth is freedom. It's not condemning. The only way you're going to have any hope is that somebody would come and say, as a doctor, I've got the real diagnosis. And it may be hard, and it may feel crushing, but it gives you real hope for life. We have a problem. We have a mortal wound. We have a heart that must have open heart surgery. We don't need aspirin. We need our chest ripped open by God Almighty and pull out a heart of stone and give His heart to us so that we might have life. That's what the gospel is. And we live in a culture who would just rather say, I know I've got some issues, but if I can just get some ice cream. And the leaders are refusing to tell their people the real problem that exists in their heart. And we don't want to be like that. A nation spirals out of control when the spiritual leaders refuse to diagnose accurately the problems with the people in their congregations. And Jeremiah is such a great preacher. He's a hard preacher. He comes at you hard, but he's giving you the truth. He's helping you move in the right direction. And Jeremiah, I just want you to note in a verse that we didn't read, chapter 4, verse 23. Look at this verse. Very interesting how he paints this picture of what sort of the end game is for a culture lost in this free fall. Look at this, verse 23. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was out, it was without form and void. Where do you hear those words before in the Old Testament? Without form and void. You go back to Genesis. And the heavens, in the heavens there's no light. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. All the hills were moving and I looked and behold, there was no man. No birds of the air, they had all flecked, reflect, had, had fled. Behold, the fruit of the land was a desert. The cities were in ruins. And before the Lord, before His fierce anger. A a, a nation caught without leaders who are willing to lead their people ends up in chaos. As if there is no word from the Lord. It's chaotic. It's because freedom is living according to God's word. And once you move outside of that, it's not freedom. It's slavery and chaos out there. And Jeremiah is trying his best to help his people see, don't go to chaos. Don't go to ice cream for your answers. Come, come to the word of the Lord. It it has its way to move you forward. And so I would really ask for you to pray for me and for the leaders. You know, there's real temptations as a preacher. Real temptations for adoration. You really don't want a preacher who wants adoration. You don't care if he's a real gifted speaker. 
lot of other things you can do without. You just got to have somebody who's willing to tell you the truth. So pray for us as elders that we would continually have the courage to tell people the truth rather than what they want to hear. The people are here in Jeremiah chapter 6, not at the bottom. They're spiraling, and so Jeremiah is going to give them some instructions on how to get home. And I just want to read one verse to you, Jeremiah 6, 6 chapter, I mean, chapter 6, verse 16. Great, great verse, great memory verse. Thus says the Lord. Oh, what a great beginning. I'm lost. I'm in chaos. I need some way home. Okay. Thus says the Lord. Here it comes. This is, this is the path to get on here, people. He's, Jeremiah is telling his people, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Stand by the roads. Look and ask. Where's the good way? Walk in that way when you find it. And when you do, you'll have rest for your souls. Some of you are at a crossroads. You're just not sure about this divine dance. It just feels better to lead yourself. It's, it's, it's going to end up in chaos. I, I, I want you to look. I want you to look down that road that you're going. I want you to see where it ends. I, I don't want you to get so busy that you're not paying attention. Look down the road. What you're holding on to... Is it going to last forever? Is your marriage going to last forever? Is your career going to last forever? Is your car, is your house, is any of those things going to last forever? No, they're not. Consider the end. What will you do, Jeremiah asked, in the end? Look at the end. Some are at a crossroads with some decision might be a really small decision might be a really big decision but you know it you know the right way to go you do know the right way to go you just don't want to do it you know what the right decision is you don't need more advice. You know exactly what God's Word says. Oh, but I just don't want to do this one. Walk in His ways. Stay on His paths. That is the path to life. No matter what you may feel like the consequences are, walking in His ways will be the way of life for you. So if you're at that crossroads, hear me say from the Lord, go in my way. You know my way. You go that way.
Jeremiah or God's advice through Jeremiah. Stand and look. Stand and look. Stand and look. Many of us are so busy. You you never have time to really stand and look. And ask yourself, what are the consequences of the decisions that I'm making right now for my family, for my life, for my future? Would you please take time to just stand and look and examine which way you're going? You cannot get off the exit ramp at 75 miles an hour. You must stand still and look and pay attention instead of living your life in rear view saying, oh man, I think I missed that exit. Oh man, I missed God there. Oh man, I missed... You spend your whole life missing the Lord because you never just stand and look. Look at God. Look at His Word. Look at the end. Ask. Ask for the ancient path. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light for my path. Keep your eyes on this word and then walk. It takes courage to walk. Even when you know the right thing, it takes courage to take that step forward and say, I'm going to walk in this way. I'm just, I'm just not going to walk in that way anymore. I'm going to walk in this way. 2,500 years ago, in Jeremiah's day, people were lost. And Jeremiah came on the scene and said, listen and look at the word. We know something that Jeremiah couldn't quite see. The Word became flesh. And He dwells among us. Now, when His follower, Thomas, comes to Him and He says to Jesus, I feel lost. I do not know the way, Lord. Could you help me know the way? What does Jesus say? I'm the way. The Word has come, and now, if you want to know the way home to the Father, you follow me. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You move ahead with Him and according to what He says. Because, if Jeremiah were living in the New Testament times, if if he were living today, if he were preaching today, and he said... I've been asked by the Lord to run to every city and see if I can just find one man who could possibly save the whole city. And where Jeremiah came back and said, I cannot find one, today he would say, I found one. The Lord God Almighty in the person of Jesus Christ has come and he is just. And he is truth. And his death on the cross has the power to save The whole world. Not just the city. And it has the power to save you. Are you walking in His way? 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there there's a need that we have for you to operate by your grace in our hearts, in our minds, in our eyes to see. Because if you don't operate, then our faces, our hearts are going to be hearts of stone, faces of stone. And so I'm praying now, just even just in these few minutes, whatever you may have spoken through Jeremiah and through my mouth today into the lives and hearts of these people, would you just now, by your Holy Spirit, drive it down? And like a scalpel, begin to exercise and, and cut away things that are like a nail in your head. You just didn't know it and you thought it was a toothache. Would you, would you begin that extraction process now? Convict, convince those here who know the way and are yet choosing to go a different way. Would, would you draw them back? Would you then give them the power and the strength to walk in your way? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh.